One winter night in Alaska, where I worked my first radio job, I was coming home and maybe going a little too fast when I moved to turn into my driveway. And I bet you can see what happened next. The car slid directly into the mailbox. So I got out, I trudged through the snow to pick it up, and that is when I saw them. Shimmering curtains of green light hanging magically in the night sky. Now, I had been trying for months to see the northern lights. I followed the forecasts. I religiously watched to see if they were going to come out, and I never, ever got a glimpse of them. But now here they were, accidentally seen, thanks to my bad driving. And I remember just sort of standing there in silent awe, holding my mailbox and watching the lights dance. The northern lights were visible briefly over northern Michigan this week, and we will talk about that sense of silent awe with a local Orthodox priest whose church was in some ways built to be a prime viewing spot. That's this week on the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. I'm Ed Ronco. We'll also spend a few moments with a longtime northern Michigan journalist who is calling it a career after decades covering the environment and the Great Lakes. But we begin this week talking about climate change. Last year, Governor Gretchen Whitmer released an enormous climate plan with some fairly lofty goals. Now the state legislature is trying to take those goals and turn them into law. There are bills to set a carbon-free energy standard, improve energy efficiency, and expand electric vehicle infrastructure. Our climate solutions reporter, Izzy Ross, had a conversation about this recently with IPR's Tyler Thompson. And Izzy said the legislature is trying to do a lot all at once, in part because of the urgency of climate change, but also for another reason. Yeah, money. There's a lot of it on the table through the Inflation Reduction Act. That's the biggest federal investment in fighting climate change ever. Here's Democratic Representative Betsy Kofia. The clock has kind of already started. We need to get it done as soon as possible. And the goal is to get it done yet this year. She says the state needs to adopt certain laws in order to take full advantage of that available funding. The federal government through the Inflation Reduction Act has billions and billions of dollars that become available to states if we adopt these clean energy standards, not just suggestions and goals, but actual standards in law. And billions of dollars would go to other states if we do not adopt these um, these standards this year. The state has said it's already received billions of dollars for clean en- energy infrastructure through the act, and advocates say by passing strong climate legislation, Michigan has a better chance of competing with other states for billions more. So lawmakers don't want to lose out on that. I know there's also been talk about letting the state have power to allow for more solar development. Right now, local governments all have individual control of how those are permitted. What's happening there? Yeah, local restrictions have slowed various renewable energy projects across the state. House Majority Floor Leader Abraham Ayash represents Hamtramck in Detroit. He's among the legislators who want to streamline the approval process by letting the state Public Service Commission make decisions about renewable projects. Because there is no other way. If, if we are not setting a rapid pace for uh, investing in solar and wind, we will not meet the energy standards that we are going to be setting. But, of course, a lot of local governments don't like the idea of that change. Hmm. Yeah, Democrats have a slim majority in the House and Senate right now. Are Republicans on board with any of this? 
Well, it kind of depends what we're talking about. Both Interlochen Representative John Roth and Upper Peninsula Senator Ed McBroom have sponsored community solar bills this year, for example. Uh, McBroom also helped introduce a bill to allow people to sell more electricity from their own residential solar to utilities that would raise the so-called solar cap. And look, Democrats have already made some concessions. Uh, For example, there are plans to push back their original proposed deadline to reach a carbon neutral energy standard by five years to 2040. It was originally 2035. Republican Senator John DeMoose from Harbor Springs is on the Senate Energy and Environment Committee. His concern is about the pace of all this legislation. There's a lot of discussion out there um, about moving very, very quickly in a way that I think is not healthy for the state of Michigan. um, We need to be able to go forward rationally and really slow down and talk about this rather than ramming through a political agenda. And I'm not sure which of the two is happening right now. DeMoose says he's worried about things like the state's push for more electric vehicles and relying too heavily on renewable energy. Still, he's okay with phasing out coal, and he says turning down the heat and working across the aisle is important. He hopes they can reach agreements on a lot of these issues. Like what kind? Well, he does want to keep natural gas, nuclear energy, and a process called carbon capture on the table. That's a method of removing CO2 from the atmosphere and repurposing it or storing it deep underground. I'm hearing that the prohibition on the carbon capture might be changing, which would be a very good thing um, in my mind. There's a number of changes. We Again, we haven't seen them. We're only going off of what information we've been given so far. That, that would be great to, to slow it down a little bit. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the urgency of this because there's funding on the line, but there's also an election coming up. Is that right? Yeah, this is the first time in almost 40 years that Democrats are occupying the governorship and both chambers of the legislature. So it could be a now or never moment for them to get bills passed on things like climate change. But it's not just about passing this legislation. It's also about what happens after that. I spoke to University of Michigan professor Barry Rabe. He's a fellow at the Brookings Institute and focuses on policy and climate change. And he told me that for any legislation to be successful in the long run, they need a plan in place to make those things happen. Can you bake durability into this and make it last and work effectively over a long period of time? And that's one where a lot of Midwestern states, including Michigan, have really struggled with this for years or decades where you'll have a short burst and then it kind of gets dialed back or pulled back. Rabe says the timing is important. Again, there's unprecedented federal funding and an ambitious climate agenda from the governor, but it really all comes down to what the legislature ends up doing. And so far, we don't know how effective it will be. IPR Climate Solutions reporter Izzy Ross. Her work comes to us through a partnership with Grist.org, a nonprofit independent media organization dedicated to telling stories of climate solutions and a just future. She spoke with IPR's Tyler Thompson. Izzy just started with us this summer, but now we will turn to another environmental journalist who is just wrapping up his career. John Flesher retired after decades covering the Great Lakes for the Associated Press. When Flesher joined the AP in 1981, he was covering politics in his home state of North Carolina. And then after a few years in DC, he moved to Traverse City to report on Northern Michigan in general. Flesher told IPR's Max Copeland that back then, he covered everything from unusual crimes to monks in the Keweenaw Peninsula to the ongoing debates about wolf management. 
gradually I just you know started doing more and more things about the Great Lakes. Being up here in northern Michigan, there was no dominant industry or university or any other source of continuous news. So after uh, having a, a week-long workshop in environmental reporting down at Michigan State, this was in 97, it just sort of occurred to me that that would be a great thing for me to do. Since if you think about where we are here, you sort of have you know, two Great Lakes coming together, you know, here on in Michigan, and Superior is just a hop across uh, the UP. And so I think of the Traverse City, northern Michigan area, as really being right in the heart of the entire Great Lakes region. And what occurred to me is that the Associated Press did not have one reporter who was dedicated to reporting on the Great Lakes. We might have someone say, over in Buffalo, New York, writing about Lake Ontario, or someone in Ohio having a story about Lake Erie, something like that. But nobody was tying it all together. There was a year, uh, 2002 to 2003, sort of academic year, uh, when I, uh, my family and I left Traverse City and went out to Boulder, Colorado. I had a, I'd won a fellowship out there at the University of Colorado in Boulder, at their School of Journalism, for uh, to study environmental issues. Given its location, it had a Western focus, and I learned so much about the different climate out there, how little water they really have in most of that that part of the country, and it gave me a much healthier perspective on just how special the Great Lakes are, and what. Uh, what an embarrassment of riches we have in our area where it comes to water. Is there anything that you think people misunderstand about the region? One thing I would point to, uh, and this is just co sort of comes from my own experience, is growing up in the South, the image I had of Michigan was very Rust Belt oriented. I thought about it as you know a decaying state, uh, where the, that had once been a mighty industrial power but had fallen on hard times. And I knew nothing about northern Michigan and the, you know, the, the beauty of the area and the, the abundant natural resources. You know, the, the odd thing about the state of Michigan, if you look at a map, it's an incredibly large area and so different. And I don't think most people in the country grasp that. What people in the state uh, maybe don't fully understand, getting back to the abundance of water that we have here, I think it can be easy for people to just sort of assume that it's always going to be here. A couple of years ago, just to the west of Kent County, where Grand Rapids is, they had a, a particular problem with their water. They were running short. Now, you're talking about 12 miles or so from Lake Michigan. You would not think that that part of the, of the country would have a water shortage. But in fact, they did. Are there any like particular quirks about the northern Michigan environment that we should continue to pay attention to? Water is at the center of, of everything. There are issues involving wetlands. There was a Supreme Court ruling in May which limited the reach of the federal government to regulate and protect Great Lakes, putting more and more power in the hands of states. Think about the, the environment uh, in, in northern Michigan. There are a lot of 
marshes and, and bogs and swamps that people might not think of as being very attractive or important, but in fact, they are all important. Your wetlands have some of the richest biodiversity, and wetlands are also very important for flood control. Uh, they are, some will describe them as nature sponges. They soak up excess rainwater and they release it gradually. They're also called nature's kidneys because they filter out a lot of pollutants and keep them from getting into water bodies that uh, end up becoming part of what we drink. Thank you very much for coming in today. I appreciate it. That's my pleasure, Max. Thanks for the invitation. That was John Flesher, looking back on a 42-year career with the Associated Press. He just retired after decades of covering the Great Lakes and the environment here in northern Michigan. But before we ended our conversation, I had to ask this retiring journalist if he had anything to say to those of us who are a little newer in the profession. Yes, I do. First, uh, I would say to any young person considering journalism, I'm glad you're doing it, and please do. We need good journalists now as much as we ever have and maybe more. Today, the big challenge is the fact that there is such a cacophony of, of noise out there coming from so many people who are getting on online and putting out what purports to be news. And you have the challenge of artificial intelligence, too, which I know very little about, but is going to be more and more of a factor. It's going to be harder and harder for people to distinguish between what is real and genuine news and what isn't. It's going to take dedicated, smart, young journalists to help people find their way through the fog. John Flesher, speaking with IPR's Max Copeland. When we come back, a dark night and a moment of reverent reflection. The Lowdown returns after this. American politics are about as polarized as they've ever been. So how do you have a conversation with someone you disagree with politically? On the debut episode of The Middle with Jeremy Hobson, we're joined by former Illinois Governor Jim Edgar and Cynthia Wang, expert on conflict resolution. And we're taking your calls at 844-4MIDDLE. That's 844-464-3353. Join us for the start of a weekly conversation on The Middle with Jeremy Hobson. Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. I'm Ed Ronco. The aurora borealis was visible over northern Michigan this week, but like always, it was fleeting, and certain places had better views than others. Now, there are Facebook groups where people alert each other that the northern lights are visible, and around here, there are popular places to gather to get a good view, where the sky is dark and uninterrupted by street lights, headlights, porch lights. A lot of those places are far from cities and towns, but not all of them. The Archangel Gabriel Orthodox Church has a big copper roof and sits along US 31, just north of Traverse City. There's a resort across the street, strip malls just a mile or so away. In the daytime, you look out to see East Grand Traverse Bay and the Old Mission Peninsula, but tonight we look up. It is pitch black except for the orange glow of a fire where a group of people are chatting. How far are you traveling from? 
Where are you coming? Well, they're from Dallas, Texas. Yeah. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, or Toledo, Ohio. But mm-hmm. yeah. So do you come here just for the lights, or no? They heard the church might be a good viewing spot for the aurora. Right now, all they're getting are clouds. Father Cyprian Streza is the parish priest here. Whatever we can do to make it comfortable for you, have at it. I open the doors to use the restrooms, use the water. We have a water fountain, we have the fire, we have the hill. This is not ours. None of it, none of it is, belongs to anybody. It's God's. So I think that's a, uh, that's a lesson there. After he gives them a tour of the church, we break away from the group and go talk in a quieter area of the grounds. His church invites the Aurora hunters to visit whenever they'd like, and he tells me that sometimes they do, in fact, show up in the wee hours of the night. For Streza, having them here is not just about stargazing. He tells me it's about honoring his Orthodox faith, offering people a place to rest, be still, and connect to something larger. I think there's a common path of people coming together who seek the same thing, even if they're not readily able or ready to acknowledge what they're seeking is common with other people. So yeah, Northern Lights happen once a month or once two months or whatever, whatever happens. But I think the beauty is the, the natural deep human craving that there's somehow, because ultimately we are relational beings. God has made us in relation, to, to, to have a relation. Um, so it just happens that I know the community of the, of the Aurora Lights hunters when they're going to gather. So I don't think that on a regular basis people show up at this church beca- church property because they know that that's not going to be the event. Mm-hmm. But there are other people who come here even during the day, mm-hmm. as I said, to have lunch, to yeah. just sit at the sunset. We have amazing sunsets. Uh, we're sitting in, a, in an outdoor chapel. It's mm-hmm. nighttime now. We're listening to crickets and I think cicadas around us. It's a beautiful spot. How did you how did you find it? When we search for this property we are very intentional about about what we are looking. We I wanted the property to have three things to be accessible, visible and inspirational. And I think this this property hits all three you know, he's the trifecta. I was talking with one of the members of the Dark Sky group, Peggy Zinn, and she mentioned that the church, which has only been here since 2020, was designed so that you could turn the lights off and maintain the Dark Sky, because when they knew you were going to put a church here, people from the Dark Sky community said, wait, 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 we, we need that space. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. We were very intentional about preserving the Dark Skies ever since we started this, started building this church. So we, we, we thought of the ability to turn off the lights because the same God that made the church is the same God that created the skies, the dark skies, the beauty of the, of the heavenly reality. So yeah, she was right. People who come and look for Aurora or want to take, you know, star photography, astrophotography, um, obviously they have to find a dark place to do it. As a result, they're often in remote places still places mm-hmm. we're sitting you know not too far from us 31 there's a car going by right now it's mm-hmm. it's not silent but it is still those are different things I yeah think. yeah and i think we have a concept in the orthodox theology which is active stillness 
which is to our human reason is a dichotomy wait it's either active or stillness but we believe that in the deep stillness we encounter God that's when the stillness becomes active so active stillness is is fundamental in our spiritual experience you grew up in Romania yes did you grow up as a child active and bouncy and noisy or were you a still child where did stillness come from in your life hmm stillness is a skill that we work our whole life hmm. and stillness has different aspects for example when you're a teenager stillness is a foreign concept when you grow up you learn how to find your protective space of stillness which which is good for your spiritual and emotional health when you have children stillness again it's still important but it's 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 it takes a different shape so stillness is a is a concept that continually reinvent itself throughout the stages of our lives but it still remains a very active constant so to answer your question i don't think i was a still teenager <laughs> i i believe that i'm a more mature person but I'm still not as still as I would like to. So stillness is a mindset rather than an external circumstance. What do we get out of it? Energy to keep going. I think there's the, I, I heard this saying that the difference between a, a champion tennis player and a good tennis player is the champion tennis player rests between the serves hmm. whereas the good tennis player rests after the game hmm. stillness is that magic moment when we recharge our soul imagine having a moment of stillness at the red light of the traffic stop or having a true stillness when you get home or even sometimes taking 30 seconds before you go in the house after a hard work day before you go in the house to encounter your family you need to get in a moment of stillness to recenter the world feels so busy and loud and sometimes angry and here we are in northern Michigan uh, surrounded by acres and acres of open land and big lakes mm -hmm. and um it seems like stillness would be easy to find here, but sometimes it, it's not. If you know how to find stillness, you will find it in the desert or downtown New York City. It is about the mindset, it's not about the circumstances. Have you ever seen the Northern Lights? I have. You have? I have seen the Northern <laughs> Lights, and all I could think is the words of, again, from the Bible that says, Great are you, uh, great are you, O Lord, and marvelous are your works, and no words are sufficient to praise your wonders. Where did you see them? I saw them uh, from my house, actually. Yeah, up here I, I in Traverse City. Last night, last night about this time. Was that the first time? Yes, the just very last first night. Time. The last time, the last night was the first time I've ever seen them, and they were as marvelous as they say they are. <laughs> and if you think how beautiful creation is how much more beautiful the creator is. It was truly a, a inspirational spiritual moment. Thank you so much for your time and for letting us 
sit here in quiet conversation. My pleasure. Glory to God for allowing us to share this beauty. That's Father Cyprian Streza, parish priest at Archangel Gabriel Orthodox Church in Williamsburg. Okay, back to Earth now. Here's what else is happening in Michigan. Michigan State University is firing its head football coach. Mel Tucker received notice from the school that it will, quote, terminate his contract for cause. Tucker was suspended after news reports revealed he was under investigation for harassing a rape survivor. He calls the allegations against him false, says he had a consensual relationship, and wrote in a statement that, quote, MSU does not care about my rights, the truth, or its future liability for policing its employees' private lives. Traverse City needs a new city manager again. A couple weeks ago, the city offered the job to Benjamin Marantet, but Marantet declined, telling city commissioners he wants to remain in his post as city clerk. The interim city manager, Nate Geinzer, has a contract that runs through October. It can be extended if needed. And he has been in the job since the city fired Marty Colburn in April without much explanation. High school seniors in Michigan whose grade point average is 3.0 or better are guaranteed admission to 10 public universities in our state. The schools said this week that they've agreed on that policy. The head of the Michigan Association of State Universities says the schools want to encourage students who want to go to college but think that it's too hard to get in. Michigan ranks fourth in the nation for vehicle collisions with animals. That's according to a study by State Farm Insurance reported on by the Benzie County Record Patriot. Drivers here have a one in 60 chance of hitting a deer. We all know somebody who has, maybe we have ourselves. We rank second in the nation, by the way, for insurance claims on animal collisions. Number one, Pennsylvania. Speaking of cars, the UAW remains on strike against Detroit's big three automakers. This week, they expanded the strike in a big way to parts distribution centers nationwide for Stellantis and GM. Michigan Radio reports that the UAW says it's making progress with Ford. That's it for the Lowdown this week. We had contributions from Izzy Ross, Tyler Thompson, and Max Copeland, who is also our producer. I'm Ed Ronco. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. And we leave you this week with just a little more stillness, recorded from the grounds of Archangel Gabriel Orthodox Church in Williamsburg. Thanks, as always, for listening, and have a great week. Because if you think about it, what are you seeking? What are, what are people that travel four, five, six, seven hours to see the Northern Lights? What are the Northern Lights? I think, from my perspective at least, uh, three things. One, stillness and i think it's a it's a deep human need of be, being still secondly is fellowship to find people crazy enough as we are to travel four five six hours to be here <laughs> and then it's i think we all desire a sense of wonder and when you see those northern lights dancing in the sky that's a that's a spiritual experience that a sense of wonder so if we can offer this i'm all in <laughs>